Welcome back, Double Teamed fam. Another episode brought to you this Thursday with a special guest. We're welcoming Wendy today, founder and CEO of Good Clean Love, author of two books and host of the podcast, Dear Sex. So if you want to say hello, Wendy. Hi, thanks so much for having me, ladies. Really fun to be with you today. Absolutely. We're very excited for this episode. So today we wanted to talk about lube. And I know recently we did an episode on sex toys, which we love to explore and, you know, kind of get into all of that. And we briefly mentioned lube and I realized, you know, there's not a whole lot that I know about lube other than I see what has some good reviews and I go with that and then I just kind of go from there. So Wendy, today Good Clean Love has a lot of products such as lube, oil, vaginal moisturizers, things like that. So we wanted to learn a little bit more about them. I guess my first question would be, because you know I can kind of relate to this, what are some of the maybe common misconceptions that people have about lube? The only thing I know about is that we got to use a lot of it. So what are some <laughs> of those misconceptions? You know, I need to be a little bit of a science geek here with you ladies for a minute. So lubricant, personal lubricant's been around forever, right? Because like even before you guys were born, right, KY was sort of the brand that's been on the shelf like Dove Soap, right, forever, right, for decades and decades. And a lot of times, uh, and I think actually lubricant really got a bad name, over many years because the majority of lubricants were made with ingredients like propylene glycol, polyethylene glycol, many times methyl and propyl parabens, a lot of nasty ingredients, ingredients that you would never really think about putting in your body or on the most sensitive tissue in your body. I'm not sure who thought of those ingredients originally, probably men. Uh, they were really cheap. They're also used as brake fluid and antifreeze, right? So, you know, we know that methylene propyl parabens are illegal in many countries, Canada, most of Europe. So you got to ask yourself, who's the FDA working for? Anyway, we don't have to go there. But those have been sort of standard formulations. And even when you look at, I mean, those are, so those are the kind of products you find in drugstores with you know, a lot of ingredients that you don't know what those ingredients are. Um, and, you know, a lot of the brands that I said I mentioned that are legacy brands, Astroglide, you know, even in the fertility space, the pre-seed, all of these products are made with the same pretty, let me say, incompatible ingredients to vaginal health. And, you know, in the adult market, I would have to say that, you know, even though you would walk into a castle store and have a 50 foot wall of lubricants, when you look at the ingredients across that wall over and over again, you have the same ingredients everywhere. So this is the space that I entered into after I had four children and was really having a lot of dryness because you know, we have dryness, like you said, we need lube and we need lube at all ages of our life. Some women need lube because they take antihistamines, right? Because they have allergies or some women have lubricant needs because maybe they take antidepressants, right? Which also actually work to dry your mucous membranes sometimes. Sometimes when you're postpartum after you have a baby, you know, you're having a whole different hormonal mix. And even in the normal cycle of fertility, if you're lucky enough to have a normal cycle of fertility, you might frequently run into moments during that cycle that you need lubricant. 
So pornography, I think, has really confused us all, truthfully. It's like way too many images that kind of create this idea that women just have this running stream of lubricant out of them. And if you don't have it, something is wrong with you. So I just want to say that not only is that incredibly rare for a woman to like squirt lubricant, right? Some women practice that their whole life. And I know somebody who, who teaches it. So it's not, a, that is not common. Okay. And it's not usual. And when you're in sexual encounters with people that are strangers to you, that it's the first time you've been with them, maybe you met them at a bar, perhaps also you've been drinking or doing other recreational things before that. All of those things would lead you to be dry when you're going to have sex. So anyway, that was kind of a big exhaustive list of all the reasons that people might turn to lubricant. Weirdly though, I have heard many times during my evolution as a lube maker, how, you know, like men think, like I've actually had women tell me, oh, my husband doesn't, or my partner doesn't give me permission to use lube. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. That is a really problematic sentence. Oh, absolutely. If you're with somebody who doesn't want you to be as comfortable as possible, then that's a real problem just right off the bat. And the fact that there's this level of judgment around the use of things that support us in our sexual exploration is also extremely problematic. But I've heard that many, many times. So I just think as a lube episode, especially when we're talking about polyamory and multiple relationships that you're maintaining at the same time, nobody should ever be telling anybody that you don't have the right to use products that are helpful. That's interesting. It's, it's very similar to how a lot of times in the episode with the sex toys we mentioned, you know, using vibrators for some women need quit stimulation in order to orgasm. And so, but a lot of times partners will be very nervous. Yeah. About using that because yeah, they feel like they're not enough or something along those lines. So it's like, these are things that can be tools to enhance the experience overall. And like, we shouldn't shy away from them at all. In pornography, as you said, I think a lot of times they don't show that they'll do things like put lube in there or things like that look extra, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, pornography is fiction and we take it to be real life and yeah. it's fiction and usually not even good fiction usually. So, but it definitely, I think confuses all of us. The other thing that I want to say that I think is really important to be said is, which doesn't, it relates to lubricant, but it actually even more fundamental to arousal and the ability to actually enjoy sex and orgasm is that it's safety in sex, right? So, you know, young women frequently in college, sometimes in high school, sometimes I don't even want to talk about middle school, but, you know, when we're young and we're starting to become sexually experimental and we're maybe with people who are older than us or maybe, you know, in a hookup culture with people that seem really nice when you first meet them and then you, you're you in a private place with them that you're going to have sex and suddenly it doesn't feel good and suddenly it's not safe safe and whatever. People have these really pretty meaningful erotic injuries. And I just want to say that it doesn't take very many of those for you to be dry all the time at the idea mm -hmm. of sex. Yeah. Yes. The psychological piece. Yeah. So when sex is painful to us or frightening, then our body gets, and actually there's some very interesting studies. We do, we do a lot of clinical research in our company. And one woman that we're working with has done more studies than anybody in the country about the association between arousal 
and pleasure or the lack of it. And there's actually, they've shown that the body remembers sexual trauma in such a way that it will not lubricate. So even childhood sexual traumas can prevent you from lubricating. And, you know, when you look at the statistics of the number of women, it's at least half, maybe more, who've had sexual trauma at some point in their life. That becomes even more important to think about lubricant. But here's a couple of things that I do want to say. Not all lubricants are created equal. Mm-hmm. So some lubricants actually make it worse. Oh. Yeah. So it's better to use nothing. But, you know, lubricants that are, like I was telling you earlier, made with a lot of glycols and parabens and ingredients that you would never think about using or consuming in any other way. The worst place that you could use them is on the most sensitive tissue in your body. It's not so much a single ingredient, although there are some very toxic single ingredients, but the formulation, the the entirety of those products, when they're so chemically heavy, what they do is they strip the vaginal lining, the epithelium of the vagina. When you use really heavy lubricants, and when I say heavy, I mean that the chemical composition is way heavier than your own mucus and your mucus membrane. And so that's called hyperosmolar. It's kind of a bit really big scientific word. But when you remember chemistry in high school about osmosis and how the job of the cells is to balance what's inside and outside, when something is really much heavier on the outside of a cell, it pulls all the water out of those cells. And so what happens is that's how all this cell tissue sloughs off. And then you're 60% more susceptible to, or no, let me get this right. When that happens and you lose your defense mechanism, basically that's the immune function in the vagina. And so when you slough off that vaginal tissue, it, it creates a whole cascade of events, but then you're really, really likely to get bacterial vaginosis from a single use of those lubricants. Because so many women have BV and don't know it, 80% of the time they don't know they have bacterial vaginosis, which is really like when you go to the doctor and you get diagnosed with bacterial vaginosis, you'll, you'll often be given antibiotics to kill the bad bacteria. So basically it's an overgrowth of bad bacteria because all the good bacteria has been sloughed off and the pH goes up in the vagina. This whole cascade of things happens. And then you're way more susceptible, you're 60% more susceptible to HIV and other STDs when you're walking with BV untreated. And sadly, many lubricants play a link in that process. So you just want to make sure that when you're using a lubricant, that you're using something that's safe and that is not going to create that cascade of events. It's funny that you mentioned BV because that's, I think, a really common one. It's the most common, you know, right now the CDC still calls that a sexual infection, Mm -hmm. but I'm really working to try to change their mind because what we know is just the way yeast, you know, a yeast infection is more like a condition that arises. Right. The same thing is true about bacterial vaginosis. You know, and I think the best way to think about it is think about your gut, you know, like it took 20 years for people to realize that 
we don't want to just keep giving people antibiotics because it kills all the bad bacteria in your gut as well as the good bacteria, right? And so over many years, it took at least a decade, probably two decades, for people to believe that growing a really good, healthy microbiome in your gut is the best way to keep you from getting the flu and colds and other infections, right? Like your gut health impacts your health over your whole body. Well, now we're realizing that the vaginal area, the vagina and the whole reproductive area is a microbiome also. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to keep putting antibiotics in that area either because how it stays healthy is to have good, healthy lactobacilli, just the same as in your gut or in your mouth or in your rectum, right? Like there's good bacteria that protects us. And so... Basically, you know, bad lube can hurt your good bacteria. That's the easiest way to say it. Yeah, I never knew that. That's I wonder if I've ever used bad lube. Like I have no, that's the I thing. Know. Most people have used bad lube. And yeah. some of the ways that you know you did is if it was sticky and it was burning after, or if it made you itchy, or if you had this feeling like, oh, I need to go wash this off, then it was hurting you. Okay. So, I mean, let's talk a little bit more kind of about the science behind the lube. So you talked about some of the bad ingredients that can be harmful and cause all those things. So are there good ingredients to look for? Like when you turn around and look at the label, like what's a red flag? What's a green check mark? Yeah. So any products that say organic and natural is a good lean to, right? That's not exclusively true because some people can put formaldehyde in what would normally be a good product. And then the fact that they've used formaldehyde as a a form of formaldehyde as a preservative kind of kills the whole thing, right? So that's why you really need to look at a formulation. But this is kind of what we pride ourselves on at Good Clean Love is making isoosmatic products. So that means that it's not more chemically heavy than what's already there. We call it Biomatch. There's a lot of people who've copied our aloe lube. And so there's a lot of aloe lubes on the market. And so if you're looking at a water-based lubricant that's made with aloe, most likely that's going to be a lot safer than a product that's made with propylene glycol as a primary ingredient, just as a start. We also make a lot of lubricants and gels because some people react to aloe. I mean, aloe is a great ingredient and many, many people, we sell millions of bottles of that every year. And many people say that it changed their life. So I'm not saying that aloe is not a good choice, Um, but we also have just started making products in a base of hydroxyethyl cellulose. And there's actually other products in the market. So that's like like a pulp, a wood pulp right? A really refined wood pulp is that's what that's made of. That's what that is. And there's lots of different kinds like that. So it doesn't have to say aloe and water. It could also say hydroxyethyl cellulose as a base, you know, but there's actually a lot of places that have lubricant guides now. Um, And we actually are just launching a website called Vaginal Biome Science that has all this science stuff that I just explained to you. We just have a splash page there right now, but we're working on getting the site live here soon. And that actually will show you charts 
of what's really important in your lubricant. You know, you can pretty readily be searching lubricant safety and then put a, a name of a product in and you'll get some results. For me, when I make products and I talk about lubricants and I, and I think about sexual health, I think safety is my primary concern. So I think it's really important and I wish if I can do anything with this life that I've built is that I hope that I can change the category so that every product you buy, I don't care who the brand is, is making products that are safe for women's health. You know, we've done some work with the FDA so that they will stop testing on animals as a requirement because many animal tests give a false safety report. That's not true for women. So it might be true for a rabbit or a guinea pig, but it's not true for a woman. So we've created this new regimen of tests that are human tests based on human tissue models. And so if I have my way, all lubricants will have to get tested against those tests instead of animal tests because that won't let them allow any more bad products into the marketplace. You are doing the Lord's work here. Yes, I love, I love that. Because I've always been against animal testing. I'm a huge advocate for animals, and I don't think animal testing is ever the right way. I mean, it's so wrong for animals. It's like yeah. horrible. Like, yeah. I love that Elle Woods movie where she's the whole movie's about animal testing. Like, uh, yes. you know, that number two, that's such a great movie. But I mean, and so hard, but it's like what makes it even worse is that there's a lot of research that shows that those tests are giving clearance to products that are actually harmful to women. So like how I'm 60 years old, it's 2021. How long does this have to go on? Oh, like absolutely. it has to stop. Yeah. And so I'm doing a lot of work to try to make that stop right now. You're just a godsend. Thank you for doing that. Like on behalf of everyone. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to tell people, I can guarantee you everything that Good Clean Love makes is safe. There are other products that are modeled after our products, some that we've white labeled even, you know, that are also safe. So there's other products that you can use. And like I said, there's guides to safety in lubricants. And I can send you links to some of those too, and you can maybe include them in your description. Oh, absolutely. And I think that'd be a great resource because like I said, you know, I never really thought much about lube and I just kind of like went and saw what had good reviews and went off with that. And, and as we were preparing for this interview with you and looking more into, you know, the products and stuff that you guys offer, I realized I needed to be doing a lot more research about lubes because it's something that's literally going in my body. So those resources sound amazing and we'd definitely be interested in well, that. Well, I mean, and it's weird also when you think about the, we're in 2021 and how much, how far we've come when we think about our hair care products mm -hmm. and the stuff we put on our face, right? Like we've come so far, even toothpaste, right? Like mm -hmm. there's a whole revolution in toothpaste, but it's like very strange how delayed women's health products mm -hmm. are in that spectrum, right? Like I feel like really that's what I'm most proud of in my life is just what a huge amount of innovation and whistleblowing that I feel like we've done around women's health products. And, you know, I do have to say that I'm seeing a shift, but, you know, a lot of women's health platforms are designed around a business model of getting the most eyeballs and the most attention. So they become mostly marketing platforms. 
And many, many of them are spending way less of their attention and resources on developing better products and just trying to like use the right words to get people into their platform. And I know that's true because those platforms then come to me for my supply chain. And so what I would say is like, if you're in the business of women's health, then be in the business of developing better products. Don't just take what's available, like some shitty knockoff of a product that the FDA should have never cleared to begin with because it was based on animal testing that doesn't tell us anything about women's vaginal health. And don't keep making that. You know, I don't want to name any names, but there's some big brands. They have millions of dollars, way more money than I have. And they're putting horrible products on the market, selling to women like you, millennials, who like are trusting that brand that they're selling something trustworthy because that's what the brand is teaching them. And in fact, they are not. So that's a little infuriating for me. No, I can see that. The passion that you have about this is very evident. And I love that because yeah, you want to be purchasing from a brand whose founder and who's the leader of the, of the company overall has that passion about their products and wants to do it the right way and wants to approach it ethically and in a way that supports you know the overall mission of, of what the product is trying to do, not just the bottom line, the dollar, you know, everything, you know, in relation to marketing and whatnot. And then you've got to ask yourself like about where the money is going, right? You know, modern fertility, as an example, you know, raised 20 some million bucks with for a test, whatever, we don't have to talk about their test, wanted to buy our lubricant. I'm developing this model to sell it to them. But then what all they do is build a platform. That's it. And then they sell for $200 million. So I just want to ask you, how is that helping women's health? Yeah. I just don't believe it is. No, 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 no. I would agree with you. So I'm just kind of calling out the business models. You know, where we build our business model success on attention and how many people come to a site and buy whatever it is they're selling without really holding those people accountable to improving, really literally improving the available products and resources that they claim to be doing, whatever. It's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would be a pet peeve of mine too. It honestly sounds disheartening, you know, that, that brands it would do that out there. And for the consumer, you know, like you said, we, we want to put good products inside of our bodies. Literally, you know, the vagina is one of the most sensitive areas that we could put something into. And so when we're trusting these brands, you know, we should be able to have that trust, but that's not always the case, sadly. And so the other thing I want to say is that we were saying that the vagina is a biome. And so if you're on hormonal birth control, then you might have dryness and other things that affect that biome. And also if you're having your period, when you have sex, when you wear tight yoga pants for a whole day, there's all kinds of just day-to-day -day activities that require you to take care of your vagina as much as you take care of your face. And so we are really, really big believers in really working to maintain the right pH of your vaginal area and using products that are not going to harm you because we can have a long diatribe about washes too, right? Many, many personal vaginal washes, which really are only going to make things worse and shame on them for continuing to sell that. And so that's another place to be really attentive 
and really thoughtful and do your research about washes that, that are not harmful, right? Because it's all those products that we use on our labial tissue and intravaginally and all of that that affect the vaginal biome. We get letters, actual letters in the mail and emails and reviews all the time from women who have tried and tried and tried to find their balance, their vaginal balance. And then they find good, clean love, sometimes like on a Reddit board or like on a health board because, you know, they've had so many rounds of antibiotics. Because once you have BV, then you frequently get BV over and over again. Because if you're not trying to build that biome back up, then you just, whatever, it's kind of a longer story. But only about a third of all women have a good, healthy biome all the time. And another third never have it. And the middle third are always trying to find their way. So a lot of women, a huge percentage of women are trying to establish a healthy biome. And when you take antibiotics over and over again, it's really hard to do that. And so if you're not doing this work to reestablish the biome, which is really what our products try to help you do, um, then you can just go through a lot of cycles of antibiotics and whatever, we just hear from women all the time who are so grateful to like have that balance back. So, you know, I know I sound like a commercial, but really <laughs> what I'm trying to promote is the science, yeah, right? Yeah. Because other people could be doing this instead of building platforms. They have way more money than I do. And so that is the goal. That's what we're trying to do is get every company that's speaking to women to be making products that's supporting vaginal biome health. That's the most important message of the whole thing, really. Yeah. One time I, and I hope this isn't like TMI for everybody listening, but one time my pH balance was off and I think it all started with like a yeast infection gone bad. I don't really know. And I was on birth control at the time and it took months of trying to figure out like how to fix this. And I'll be honest, I was talking to my gynecologist a lot, but mainly like her nurse and her nurse was very passive about it. She was like, try this wash. And I tried it and I was like, this is not working. I'm like, uh-huh. how do I fix this? And yeah. it took a little while to get that pH balance right. And then after that, I realized just how important it is. I just want to say it's crazy how many women don't just have pain with sex, but have vaginal discomfort or some kind of pain every day. Yes. Right? Because when that's off, like it affects the way you live. And mm-hmm. that's what we just hear over and over again. And so I feel like we have down to a science and we literally are doing science with this and kind of doing clinical trials, but you want to use a wash that's going to bring your pH to the right level, which is 4.0 on the outside and provide the right kind of lactic acid that healthy lactobacilli can be nourished by. And the same thing vaginally. I mean, it's scientific, but it's not like rocket science, you know? It's not like so complicated that we can't make this shift. Yeah, make it successful. So yeah, we're dedicated to this cause. And every lubricant you use should then also support your vaginal microbiome health. When you talk about the pH and lube and everything, does is there anything men need to do? 
Or is there anything that men do that affects our vaginal health? Men who are uncircumcised Mm -hmm. can often carry a lot of bacteria in that tissue area that is covered by their foreskin. Uh Uh-huh. So I think that hygiene is a way that you love somebody. And, you know, I've never been into sort of dirty sex because why would you do that? You know, for us, our ritual always includes showering and bathing together before and after. Mm. And it's sexy. It's sexy to do that. You know, there's a way that we prepare ourselves to receive somebody. So you for sure, like men who are uncircumcised should for sure wash before, especially if it's unprotected sex. But I mean, if you're using condoms, then that's a whole different thing. Condoms are generally rolled in silicone lube. It doesn't prevent you from using a good sort of balanced pH lube also. Even though the condom is rolled in silicone, you could still use a good for you lube with that and it'll be better. So if if you're wearing a condom, like we talked about this in the previous episode, if you're using silicone toys, not to use silicone lube. So if that has silicone lube on the condom, it's okay to use like aloe or water-based, like that doesn't affect it at all? That's better actually, right? Like I feel like the jury's out on silicone lube. You know, there's a lot of ways that people love that because it just lasts forever. And because it lasts forever, it doesn't wash out of your vagina or your rectum. It sloughs off slowly over time. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that myself. We are coming out with a new hybrid lube that has a pretty low percentage of dimethicone, which is silicone in it. So it's still isoosmatic. So what I wanna say is that even though we've gone to the other side because of all the gender fluidity and people wanting to have sex all the different ways, you know, I feel like that is a little bit safer way of using silicone is, you know, where we've really tested the osmolality of it so that it's not gonna be disruptive to vaginal epithelium. So is that product not available yet, but in, in the work? Soon, coming soon. Oh, nice. Yeah, it'll be out soon. And so and as far as lubrication goes, a lot of people really like coconut oil. And, you know, for many years we had a coconut oil product. Really hard to ship coconut oil. Does not want to stay in a jar. <laughs> but a lot of people like that. For a while when I was desperate, I used olive oil, but then I couldn't cook with it too. Um, so... <laughs> So, I mean, I think that there are some beautiful oils, but the thing about using oil intravaginally is that really what the body wants is something that's more of it, what it has. And so my favorite lube that we have right now is the BioNude, which is just feels like more of you. So it's water-based and it's salt balanced and it's pH balanced. And it just feels like, oh, when you're like all ready to go, this is what it feels like. And and can I give a good sex tip? One one great sex tip. Oh, go for it. We love sex tips. So I don't know why we don't get this as basic 101, um, partly because we don't really learn anything in sex education in this country, but there's two different kinds of orgasms you can have, or actually there's way more than two, but at the most basic level, there's external clitoral orgasms and there's internal sort of more like G-spot deep orgasms, Right. And one thing that I think is really critical that women understand, and it's totally stunning to me how many people never learn this, is that you shouldn't even consider penetration until you've had a clitoral orgasm. And here's why. 
Because when you have a clitoral orgasm, first of all, somebody's paid attention to you for however long it takes for you to have that. And they're really with you, whether you're both masturbating together or he's doing oral sex for you or, right? This is like warming you up. And it's not just warming you up mentally, it's also warming your sexual reproductive system up. So as soon as you have a clitoral orgasm, your body gets this incredible, I mean, more nerves in that clitoral area than anywhere in the body, right? So it's kind of God's miracle. And so what happens is that your whole vaginal canal engorges with blood. Everything softens and opens. Penetration is like, oh, more, deeper, right? Yeah. If you haven't had that clitoral orgasm, it's like, ouch, this is hurting me. It's too tight, right? Like your body is not yet ready, so I've had people email me and say, you know, I used your lube, it didn't work. And I'm like, let's unpack it. And the truth is that all the lube in the world is not going to answer a vagina that is tense and closed and afraid. What we want to do is create an environment where the vagina can really feel what pleasure means which is that happens through the clitoris. That's the key. That's the key turner. That like opens all the pleasure channels inside of you. I love that. And I fully support that. For me, at least like in sex, I think when, you know, you bring like a, a vibrator into the situation and you use that for arousal. And then I feel like from that point, once you accomplish a, a clitoral orgasm from there, it feels so much better. And I feel like even more ready to because go. Because your yeah. body is like in the game then, right? Yeah, exactly. So then you're like, okay, let's and, go. But I just want to say there's lots of fun ways to do that intra-human, right? I mean, right. you know, if you want to use a vibrator, that's great. But like our fingers are really miraculous and it's just really about time, right? It's just really, I mean, did you know that the average amount of time that people have sex is seven minutes, which is the greatest tragedy of all time? Like oh, what are you rushing off to do? What is better than this moment, right? So we have these really amazing love oils and, you know, so that's always the first base for us, right? Like putting love oil on because what you smell, this is even more primal than a clitoral orgasm, right? Like how you wake up your arousal in your head isn't through a clitoral orgasm even, it's through your arousal mechanism in your limbic brain. And so that happens through scent. And so whatever scent turns you on, right? Sometimes it's the smell of your partner, but I'm really very partial to love oil because any body part slippery is way sexier than that same body part dry. Mm -hmm. And so you put love oil on your lips, you kiss with it, anywhere you wanna kiss somebody, you put love oil on or whatever oil you wanna use, right? And what happens is these scent molecules send these messages to your limbic brain that remind you, oh, that's right, sexy, I like sexy, right? So you're getting that part of your brain turned on. You know, labial tissue that's being massaged with oil is like crazy sexy, right? I, you don't even need to go any further, right? That is crazy sexy. And so spending, you uh, what, five, 10 minutes there, you're going to for sure have a clitoral orgasm. And then at that point, you take out a really good lubricant, like for instance, BioNude or, you know, whatever brand you want. 
And then you use that when you're ready for somebody to come inside of you and you basically met your maker. And I love that you mentioned body oils because my current partner is the one who introduced me to body oils when he and I first started hooking up. And for me, never having used a body oil the way that he and I used it was like a game changer for me. It is totally a game changer. Yes. I was like, oh my God. Because I mean, we wouldn't just use it like, you know, down there, but like in yeah. other parts too. He'd massage well, yeah, because pleasure. you're like so incredibly erotic around your breasts yeah. and around your neck, the nape of your neck and your hip and, you know, above your, get the height where your hip and your butt meet and inside your thighs. And I mean, we are erogenous beings, but when we're not nervous to be there, right? When we're not telling any stories to ourselves. the best sex is the best thing that you can do in life. There just isn't a better moment, right, than making love to somebody who loves you, especially also eyes open. When you look at somebody in those moments of, of that deep release, it's like psychedelic. And, you know, I've been having sex with the same guy for 40 years and it's like new every time. That's Aww. amazing. I'm very jealous of your sex life. You sound like a sex god, honestly. And it's, it's because you've done so much research into the, you know, into the things that make it. I've written like a thousand blogs about this, trying to teach this over and That's over great. again. That's what people should hear. It's all, well, it's in these books, right? So, you know, in that book, Sex That Works, and the book before that, Love That Works, you know, I, and, you know, literally there's probably a thousand blogs, if not more, just search Wendy Stragar and you'll see me writing about sex someplace. And I wish more people could have that kind of sex because like you said, when we first started talking, it would literally save the world if people could feel that kind of love. Yeah. Sexual liberation would cure like half the world's problems. But it's not liberation the way that some people might hear that, right? Because Mm -hmm. some people might think, oh, sexual liberation means I can do whatever I want. No. It isn't actually liberation, but sexual responsibility, which means that you take responsibility for your own sexual desire, Mm -hmm. actually own it and protect it and feed it. That mm-hmm. is what real liberation is. It's not doing yeah. whatever you want or having sex with whoever you want, especially if it's shitty sex over and over again. That's just self-harm, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. uh, no, I would agree completely because when, when I think sexual liberation, I think accepting yourself as a sexual being and the desires and the things that you like and, and have and, and turn you on and, and using that as a tool to, like you said, feed it, like feed your inner, whatever the things that sex does for you, how it fulfills you, feed that through good sex and accepting it. So, you know, when you release that shame, when you release you know, all of the things, like you said, trauma, whatever that could like cause the dryness could cause our bodies to shut down when it comes to sex. When you let go of all of that, you work through it, you find a healthy and safe space to explore sex and you accept yourself for the things that you like and desire. To me, that's sexual liberation. And that's where, you know, you really kind of find self-love, you find self-acceptance and the things that are going to make you a better human overall. And that's why I think it would solve half the world's problems because then we wouldn't be the people carrying around shame and insecurity and all the things that cause us to shut down and and cause us to kind of shy away from the world. So yeah. 
You know, I had to rewrite the shame chapter five times. Really? Yeah, well, it's about fantasy and shame. It's very hard to find the right words to kind of get underneath and and be able to love not only your capacity for fantasy, but to also forgive the shame that, you know, I kind of feel like, like I was saying to you earlier, that there's this, there's this great unconscious sexual being that we all part of, mm-hmm. you know, that's like built into astrology of the world, right? Like when you think of all the sexual acts that have ever taken place on this planet throughout the history of time, you know, and you think about how many of them were painful ones, right? Mm-hmm. That were were ones where people did not really have full consent. And then the miraculous ones where there's this full presence, right? Where you bring your whole deepest self and, and you enjoy somebody at that sort of height. I mean, some people think that that is sort of what happened with Adam and Eve. That's why they're saying that that's like forbidden fruit, right? That that is, because that's when you know God. When you are fully present in that kind of depth of sexual awareness, that is as close as you can get to God, truthfully, trust me. That's very interesting. Or for anyone, you know, any form of spiritual, you know, that you follow. Like, I mean, it, it, thing, it can't yeah. not be spiritual, right? Yeah. To love somebody that deeply and be that deeply loved is sort of like, because it's like this out of body thing, right? Like you're so deeply in your body, but it's also this incredible release that releases every nerve in your body. I mean, there's nothing else you can do that does that, but that's the experience we're all striving for, right? But then when you think of all the harmful so many myriad harmful ways that, because we are so innately sexual, right? Like after we eat and sleep and drink, the next thing we are is sexual. And so it's just such a huge driver. And so I think, you know, we all kind of are tapped into this, this great unconscious and, and really like how we heal the world is by coming to this profound spiritual recognition of our power, our spiritual sexual power, when we deeply, deeply are loved and love somebody. I love that you say that. And I love that you bring power into it because I remember, I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast, but like, at least like in my conversations with Kimi and friends and stuff, like when it comes to sex, when I'm having good sex and connected like with someone and I feel like we're being vulnerable with each other and we're really like trying to tap in to the experience and exploring and everything, that makes me feel powerful. That's when I feel like my most true self and when I feel like I can just take on the world and it just feel invincible. And, and I think people really do a disservice to themselves when, like you mentioned earlier, you know, when you're in your head during sex and you're not, you know, truly connecting, you're not letting your walls down, you're not being vulnerable. When you're in your head about how you look, how you're performing, you're like, what am I going to have for dinner? Like you're not connected with that person. And you're doing a disservice because this whole yeah, thing. The, yeah, exactly. The experience yeah. is not it at all. Like you're not drawing from any of the power that you could pull from. Yeah. I mean, as soon as it turns into a performance thing, it's over. Yeah, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and as soon as, and so many people that, that describes the entirety of their sex life, right? Right. Their, their anxiety about it and, and the way that they think they're doing it. And yeah, it's like you miss the entire thing. No, I agree completely. You know, we had a really terrible tragedy in our life a few years ago. I lost a child and oh. 
I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. And, you know, I'd had this amazing sex with my husband for years and years. And I, I wondered if I would lose that ability to, to go there. So, you know, the truth is that like the only way that I can have that, and actually the sex is even more intense now because now the grief of loving my son and missing him so badly comes into my sex. You know, it's like in order for me to be free to really experience the love I have in me and to meet my partner there, you have to be willing to experience what is in you. And so for me now, you know, grief, I think, is the form of love that stays with us forever because we can't release it, right? We, you know, we hold that for the person that we lose. So it takes a huge amount of courage for me. Like every time we're like, okay, we're going to have sex supposedly today, right? And then I just have to prepare myself to really experience the fullness of what is living in me to have sex. And anything short of that is a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, this is what I was saying. It's like, you just go from one partner to the next, to the next. And I think sometimes people really get off on dangerous sex, you know, where there's, it's a danger because it's secretive. And if somebody finds out that's going to be a problem or, mm. you know, that kind of hidden sex, or, you know, it's maybe a dangerous partner. And so sometimes you can sort of substitute that really being all in being loved for being afraid, right? Because sometimes scary sex can sort of get that same kind of arousal going. Right. Interesting. It isn't nearly like touching into that deep part of the universe when you share that kind of release, that orgasmic, this isn't yours, this belongs to the universe with somebody. Then you you know you're contributing to moving the wave in the right direction at that moment, right? I love that. I, I feel like now every time I'm having sex, I'm going to think of this this spiritual universe that you talked about, which I love, absolutely. It reminds me of the movie Avatar. You know, they had that tree. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's where I think, yeah. And now I'm going to think about you too, Wendy. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but seriously, I, I love this visual and I love that that's how you look at it because I never thought of it that way. And, and I, I resonate with that so much because I can agree that it's it's just this energy. And it's but just, you've you had know, that kind of sex before, right? Like maybe- yeah. yeah. Maybe you've only had it a few times in your life right now, but like, it's cause you're only 27, right? And it takes time mm-hmm. and, yeah. and practice with somebody, you know, which is why I say, if you love your husband, just do it with him for a while till you really know that place. Mm-hmm. And then if you really want to bring that and give that gift to somebody else, then fine. I mean, I would say that I was having sex with my husband for at least 15 years before we had any consistency at all with that. Interesting. I agree. It takes time. And and that's where, like I said, you have to be willing to put the walls down and get vulnerable with someone. And then from there, once you achieve that, then yeah, it's going to take time for the both of you to really kind of get in tune and everything. And so so to me, sex, I really like to use it as a way to like explore myself. And, you know, I I, I like being vulnerable with it, but it does take time to really find a a partner who's willing to get vulnerable with you. And so that's, that's sometimes where I get frustrated with my sexual life is that like I I meet people and, and I want them so badly to like open up and, and, you know, kind of step into that world with me, but they're just kind of not always willing to do that. And so it takes time. I mean, I just want to say like that, you know, having spent my life trying to get people to do that, including my children, you know, that's never an act that happens from somebody else. That's always driven 
from inside of you, right? That you are seeking something more in that way. And there's many people who never come to it in their whole life, right? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, they miss out completely. So you should be grateful and proud of yourself that you that you're on that path. Yeah. I bet your children had wonderful sexual education growing up. Honestly, you sound like the, the model for teaching our generation, our children's everything about sex. So I bet they felt very empowered, you know, in, in what you were able to teach them about sex and everything and how they pursued their sex lives. And they were all very interested in not hookups, but in relationship, right? Okay. So I think that that was, you know, none of my kids really had ever done the hookup thing. Like they would do it once or twice and just be like, oh, this feels terrible mm -hmm. and and then we would talk about that and how, you know, really good sex requires a container of safety. Right, a safety. Right, and it's very hard to have that with a stranger. Mm -hmm. You know, then you get some other kind of, you know, excitement because it's a little bit dangerous, but it's not the same thing as really sort of letting yourself be seen and known the way you are when you're in relationship. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, one time my son was in college and had my book on his nightstand when he had hurt his knee, he was in bed and these girls came in and saw that book and they're like, whoa, what's the deal with the book? And he's like, my mother wrote that book. And they're like, oh, all so interested in him, you know? that? Oh, that's great. I hope you all read it. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I don't know. I'd like to believe that's true, that my children learn something from me. I mean, we always want to believe that, but, you know, it's always hard to know what really is transmitted. Is it what we say or is it how we are with mm -hmm. people? I think it's probably how we are with people. So I'm hoping that my next decade, I can be a little bit less needy with people and just, just let them do what they're going to do. So it's only taken me six decades to get here, girls. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> I love that. We touched on it a little bit. The oils that you use, like you said, the love oil and coconut oil and lubricants. Like I know you said maybe you start off with the with the love oil and then you go into either like a coconut oil or a lubricant. I'm really curious, how would you go about figuring out or or kind of what are the things to look for to say like which one's gonna work best for you? Well, so our love oils uh, are all scented and they're they use aphrodisiac scents, ancient aphrodisiac scents. And so we have a little sampler kit and, you know, you're just not going to know how it smells on you, how it smells on your partner till you try it. I mean, unless you know, oh, I really love cinnamon and cardamom and, you know, those scents really turn me on, then you would buy that one, right? But because they're blends, you know, and the thing about those different blends is that they smell different on a different body chemistry, which really blows people away. So it's a great party thing, right? Like where you put a love oil on everybody at a party and everybody smells each other and they're all like, oh my God, that's totally different, right? And also on some people, crazy sexy and on other people, not the one, right? So we do have pheromones, right? We do have a body chemistry and I think, you know, scent heightens that. That's what you want to do is you want to heighten your awareness of your own scent and, and the people that you want to make love to. And so, you know, there's one that we just put out that's a CBD oh. product. It's called uh, Cardamom Gold, my all-time favorite right nice. now. And, yeah, and it's just really heady and, you know, it's got a cardamom and it's got a really deep base and it's a great one. I love that one. So, you know, I feel like at least this is my prescription for sex. You can take it or leave it. but. I feel like you want to take 
a love oil with scent, but not fragrance, but true scent. So essential oils, you know, whether you want to mix your own in coconut or however you want to do it, that's fine. But if whatever you're mixing essential oils into a base oil, you just need a very little bit, right? Like just drops. It's not, you don't use, you don't ever use essential oils directly like that on you because they're too powerful. So you use that and you really consider that your curiosity exploration Mm -hmm. phase, which, you know, could be a minimum of five minutes to like what, 15, 20 minutes, right? Like you're already at 30 minutes of sex right now, you know? So, so just feel each other, right. And just smell each other and just taste each other. And then when you have had that turn the key clitoral orgasm, which you'd be surprised how fast and reliable. Actually, what's most interesting about adding scent is that it actually makes that initial orgasm way more reliable. Interesting. So it's much easier to find because you're also engaging the limbic part of your brain, which is where memory is too. So then you're like not just relying on the sensation, the sensory touch, but you're also engaging this really critical part of your brain that is responsible for arousal to turn on. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. So that's why it becomes more reliable, right? right? And then after that, I always reach for my favorite. I'm actually experimenting a lot with my with my new lubricants these days because I have to make sure that they test before I put them on the market. But you know, so so we use that or the bio nude, and it's kind of blast off, right? I love that. Okay, so start off with the love oil the clitoral orgasm, and then move into the the lube. That's my particular prescription that, I mean, I don't know what to say. You know, I've been having sex with the same man for 40 plus years, and I have amazing sex that lasts at least for a half an hour, sometimes an hour, every time I have sex. So I don't think it's like I'm magical. I mean, I do have a little witchcraft in me, but... But, but I think that this is available to people. I think no, that, I they, they could, that they could work at this and that a lot more people could have way better sex. Yeah. And I think, honestly, all of that starts with conversations about it. And not being afraid to use these products. Yeah. Not, no, it's not an ego thing. Yeah, exactly. Letting go of the ego, being willing to explore things that work, you know, with different products. Like you said, a lot of women don't enjoy sex because they're, it's, it's, they're dry. They, you know, for a number of reasons, you know, they just or can't they're, their or they're like having to process some old traumatic pain. And then actually the sexiest thing you can do is be a good listener. Yes. You want to hear what somebody's experience was. You know, if they need to cry, they need to cry. This is where we connect to the universe. I will say I have had sex before where I've cried after I orgasm. And I don't know, a few times it was with my old partner, my ex-fiance. He'd be gone for a deployment for three months. He'd come back. We would have sex and I would bawl my eyes out as soon as I orgasm just because it was, you know, there was so much emotion pent up. You were with him and you were scared he wasn't going to come home. And then suddenly he was home in the deepest way with you. Of course you would cry. Yeah. You know, like this is what it's for. This is what it's for, right? That is literally the great gift of our sexual health. And I think, yeah, if more people open up to that, just letting themselves feel a full range of emotions during sex, 
you know, it doesn't need to be just hot and sexy and erotic. It can be an emotional thing. And like, you know, I, I talk all the time about how I like to obviously, you know, like I said, use sex for exploration and for fun and to get to know myself and, and get vulnerable with someone. But there are times when it's really nice to, to be able to kind of like really let your walls down and feel the full range of things. Like you said earlier, grief. You know, there's nothing wrong with using sexual intimacy, you know, kind of as a form to work through that group. It's not even using it, right? Right. It's like surrendering yes. to what that is. Yeah. It's actually when you do all the other things, then you're using it. Mm-hmm. But when you actually just give in to what is true, then it's actually using you. Mm-hmm. You are then a vehicle for the great goddess to work through you, right? I actually think that the damage comes from the way we believe we can use sex Mm -hmm. on other people. But honestly, sexuality and divine sexuality is a surrender. It's an act of deep surrender. And that is the only place you have orgasm. I just want to say that's why your mind has to go, right? Like you are just surrendering to the moment and to this person who's looking at you and loving you. And that is like, they are a vehicle of the divine acting through you, Yeah, you know, and it's a miracle. It's a miracle every time it happens and it's true, right? It's always true. And I think that it's a very healing salve for all the other ways that we hurt each other, that we don't intend to. Right. No, I I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. It briefly reminded me of, we did an episode once about, because I see this all the time, you know, men have a lot of insecurities around, you know, the size of their members. And so I feel like a lot of times that's where, where men draw a lot of insecurities to sex because, you know, you're porn, you see- Again, performance, performance. right? Exactly. And so, and I remember in that episode, I talked about, you know, like to me, like attraction and chemistry with a person is so much more important than their size because, you know, kind of like what you said, it, it doesn't matter, like, or at least to me, like what the size is. If I'm connecting with that person, if I'm attracted and there's chemistry and we're both like really surrendering ourselves, like those things don't matter. Those things that you're insecure about go out the window. It is true that, like, since the beginning of time, that has been a man's greatest fear, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and when you think about it in the most primal way, right, like, if his deepest purpose is this idea of procreating, right, of recreating himself, right, which is spreading the seed, right? But I just want to testify that when all those things are true, size is immaterial and Very few men have pornographic penises, right? Like, just not like that, you know? And it's not necessary. In fact, might even say could be very painful. I am not interested in knowing that kind of penis myself. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree. I mean, there's tools, actually, you know, toys or tools for both men whose penises are too big for a woman right? Like where they use this thing called a donut, where that kind of prevents how deeply he can enter. There's also, you know, ways that you can create positioning where somebody who is not as large can go deeper, right? So I think that's really besides the point. But yeah, many men lose all of the joy of their sexual lives in the fear of that. 
No, it just got me thinking to all of it. You know, work, if you work past those insecurities or and really allow yourself to surrender, like those things aren't going to matter because the chemistry and the kind of more psychological things that you find connect with, you know, on a deeper level are going to mean so much more than, than those things. Yeah. So there's this book called Transcendent Sex. Transcendent Sex. Yeah. And I don't know if that woman's around for interview or not, but she did a ton of really interesting research um, out of California, I think, actually, about how many people had transcendent spiritual experiences in sex in a way that they'd never had in any other time in their life. And so that just kind of speaks to that surrender again, which is that people really allow themselves. A lot of times it just, it hits them off, you know, they're, they're not expecting it, right? And like something happens where they're just swept into an experience, which of course is the kind of sex we all want to have, right? Where we, we're not self-responsible, we're not generating and creating that opening. It just happens to us, right? That's like the ultimate, right? Then you don't have to be ashamed of it because you didn't really do it and you get to have this incredibly cataclysmic kind of amazing opening where you actually see something bigger than yourself. So anyway, that book records how many people that happens to. And what I'm saying to you is that you don't have to wait for it to just be bestowed on you once in a lifetime. You can actually create a sexual life and love with somebody where you can access that space. Honestly, Wendy, you've really changed my entire outlook. <laughs> in this like last hour, you've changed my entire outlook on my sex life in ways that I hadn't really thought of it before. Like in the ways that you describe making love and the ways that you describe, you know, sexual energy as a whole, those are perspectives that I I hadn't always, you know, had or, or tapped into. And so it's to me, at least, I'm definitely taking something away from this and how I'm going to look at my sex life from now Well, on. good. You know, I hope that you'll be one of many letters. You'll send me a card 10 years from now and tell me how this call transform your sex life and how it transform your marriage. I actually get letters like that from people, you know, who heard me speak sometimes 10, 20 years ago. Oh, wow. You know, and then I, I get a letter like years later, you know, from something I did that I hadn't thought of. And, and then they're like living this amazing, happy, blissful sex life. So may that happen to you and all the people that get to listen to us. So absolutely. And so I'm going to send you a code so people can buy all those products on Good Clean Love. And we'll set it up and uh, I'll interview you on Dear Sex here this winter. Oh, I love, love that. that. Yeah, we'll throw the code in on the description for our listeners so you can try some of these products. I really want to go try out these love oils. Get the cardamom gold. Cardamom gold. And then the bio nude, was that what it was called? Yeah, try the bio nude. And just for your regular sexual health maintenance, you know, you guys could get a box of restore and some balance wash. And that's the only wash you'll ever use is the balance wash. And before, after sex, your partner could use it too. And then restore just like anytime you feel kind of off. Just put restore a little bit before bed, just like two, three nights a week or whatever. And that's just going to help you maintain both moisture and balance. That Love sounds that. amazing. Yes. I definitely will say that as I've grown more into like my later 20s is when I started to take my vaginal health a lot more seriously, even though now I'm realizing lube was the last 
piece of that that I really need to clean up, but I just realized the importance of it. You won't believe how much better it is when you use a good lube. Yeah. Actually, that's the thing that's stunning. You can shoot me a little message, but I'm telling you, you'll just be like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm about to go throw away all my lube and buy and replace it with. Yeah. Just throw out the stuff that has the propylene glycol and all that shit in it. Just don't use it. Okay. Absolutely. Good. No. Well, we definitely thank you. This has been such... It was really so sweet to be talking to you both this morning. You're both completely adorable and really grateful to have an opportunity to share what I know and to do a little teaching. That's really fills my heart too. And we're for sure going to be in touch. Perfect. Oh, thank you. you. We would love that. that. Yeah. Thank you again. I really hope all the listeners got something out of this too. Like I said, I'm about to go like just reform my sex life which has been good up to this point like it hasn't been bad i'm just saying i've got this outlook now that i it's gonna be way better yeah, i just want to put new energy better. into it yeah yeah everybody please go check out good clean love these products sound amazing and i'm so excited to try them and again we thank wendy founder and ceo of good clean love and definitely go check out her books. I can't wait to read them. Yeah. So, yeah. Sex That Works. And then what was the first one? Love That Love Works. Love That Works. Yes. Perfect. Thanks so much. 